Hey guys, welcome to the Launch and Scale podcast. I'm Kirsten Ross, and this podcast, we talk about best practices when it comes to launching and scaling your physical product brand online. Whether you're doing Kickstarter or even launching your own brand online, we help you with best foundational practices and conversations around helping you build a brand that you can sell or at basic support your lifestyle so that you can quit your nine to five and live life on your terms Super excited. You can dive into more resources and previous episodes at kirsten.com. Hey guys, welcome to Launch and Scale podcast or YouTube channel, wherever you are watching slash listening to this. Be sure to subscribe as we are in 2020 releasing brand new content every single week. Um, I have known this lovely lady for about three years now, and it's really, um, I find serendipitous with a lot of my friends that I, I know in Toronto because like I have gone for drinks with Ainsley, hung out with her because we're in the same friend group slash friends of friend, you know, details are relevant. But up until like a year ago, I didn't really know what she did. And then when I, we were at the barbecue at Evans and she's, she, you know, Ainsley's telling me how she helps packaged food products and just food companies that um, I end up speaking to a lot. They, she helps them really with the fundamentals of branding and how to solve the age old question of how to move more product. And I was like, how have I not known that this is what you do? Because there's a substantial amount of my audience that are food companies that are, are like going to explore Kickstarter and, and other routes to market. And I just thought that it would be really perfect to bring Ainsley onto the podcast, just to really have a conversation with you about some of the best practices beginning brands have with CPG companies, especially in the food space. So I'm really excited for this conversation. Um, I'm going to shut up and I guess let you tell your side of the story. So welcome to the show first off. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah. So I guess the first thing I always like to do is I don't like jumping straight into the meat of questions first, because I think, um, a lot of people may not know who you are, the work you do. Can you, I guess, take us back to how you got, how this all, all started and how you, um, really, where did you start niching into this and, and what did that look like? Yeah. So before launching my own company, I've been doing this for about three years now, but um, I worked for the big CPG brands. So spent about a decade working in marketing and sales for brands like Coca-Cola, for a bunch of different Unilever brands, for Campbell's Soup. And I really learned the ins and outs of how these iconic brands are built, how they stay as these iconic brands, even though obviously that's changing a lot right now, but really how to run a really smooth food and beverage company. Um, what didn't really feel right though, is I just wasn't aligned with these monster ships in terms of the values that they had for consumers. And mm. that's just my own personal belief. Um, and there started to be just this piece within me that didn't really feel right. So I actually decided to step out of corporate and help these brands that I did believe in, help them understand how to really build a brand, how to really get on shelves and really how to operate as a successful food beverage business. Because most people, you probably see this, most people who end up starting a food or bev company start from two realms. Number one, they're a great like chef or a great cook and they make fantastic food and everyone's like, oh, this is so good. Why can't we get this in store? And they're like, 
yeah, why can't we get this in store? And then they go and create a, a company out of it. Most likely that person doesn't have business experience or CPG experience though. And then the second type of person is typically someone who's dealing with a health issue or someone in their family has dealt with a health issue and they've really had to adjust their entire eating lifestyle. And they realize that a lot of the options out there just aren't great. So they're, you know, wanting to be that provider. They create a food company out of it. But again, they unfortunately just don't have that business background. um, And that really does make a huge difference. So that's where I come in. And uh, those are the people that I really help with. So at what point um, did you know that, what point, I guess, what prompted you to quit your cushy corporate job and start consulting for yourself? Yeah, it was, it was kind of like a mix of things. I just started to see how long it took to do anything. It was like the food industry changes so quickly and there's all these different things happening. There's different food trends going on. And when it takes you four years to launch a product that's like on trend right now, it's like the ship is just sailed. Um, So I actually started a coffee company in the evenings and weekends while I was working full time just to, I don't know, have like things move a lot faster. And so I launched this direct to consumer coffee company and, and loved that aspect of it, the creating of it, the impact that you can make with something small and not having literally hundreds of people with like decision making. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I was just like, yeah, this, this. This is must be like, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. That's one thing that kind of kills me about corporate is like, I'm so like you very, very, you make a decision, you act on it immediately. Mm -hmm. But with corporate, you have to go through the hierarchy and the bureaucracy and the executives and the budgets and the, this and the, that. And it's like, it's, it's crazy how big brands are able to stay on top of trends now, which is really a massive advantage that smaller company, food and beverage companies have. Absolutely. And that's why like a lot of these big companies now, their strategy is to almost just acquire up and coming food and bev brands because they can't launch anything like that quickly at all. And they recognize that. So they, you know, watch someone else go and launch something successful and then bring them under their umbrella. And hopefully that brand can stay true to who they are once they're in that big umbrella. Makes sense. I'm curious why of all the food and beverage companies you could have picked to launch on the side, why did you choose coffee? So I'm a black coffee drinker. That's what I'm drinking right now. Amazing. Um, Yes. (laughs) I'm a black coffee drinker and I realized that people who drink black coffee are really happy to like find other tribers if you will that also drink their coffee black they're they kind of fit into this really specific niche niche and they can instantly connect and so my company was all around building coffee to people who only drink their coffee black and we would like I don't know be a little sassy towards people who or not people but like consumers who would put um cream or sugar in their coffee like we had this really edgy brand around yeah um, around why ruin a good cup of coffee so i created it because i really saw this niche in the market of black coffee drinkers that no one was really talking specifically to and I yeah. think it was a great opportunity to tap into a tribe that was already there so I'm on the cusp of, you're a coffee 
connoisseur, I guess. And I'm on the cusp of understanding what good coffee tastes like (laughs) black. So I would assume that, okay, there's the running joke here. Tim Hortons is really cheap, crappy coffee, but the only reason they're a national bestseller is because of the cream and sugar that people load into their drinks. Ergo, you know, people that buy a cheap cup of coffee do not actually understand what a true good quality coffee is. So is it safe to assume that people who drink their coffee black are the true, potentially true connoisseurs because they appreciate the true roasted taste, um, the virgin taste of coffee with, that's not, it doesn't have cream and sugar. Like, is that kind of where the whole black coffee thing is? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. That is, that is it. You, you can truly taste like all the flavors you're supposed to, whether it be a nutty flavor or a like fruity flavor when it's just pure and so funny that you mentioned Tim Hortons because I actually used to be like so many Canadians and drank a double double and way back right right yeah like way back and then I stopped drinking coffee for a while and it was a sad time in my life yeah (laughs) and then when I went back I was like oh I don't really like cream and sugar I want to have it a bit better for me and I did it black and I was like oh this tastes this tastes bad, black. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then it totally it veered me off. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious because like it takes time to figure out. Okay. I think of, of sourcing a product. And for me, if I chose coffee, I'd be like, I don't know. I like the taste. Okay. So you have done a lot more vision setting and understanding your tribe and your messaging to really st- figure out the niche you want to serve are the black coffee drinkers. But I'm sh- I feel like you just didn't wake up one morning and said, black coffee drinkers, and this is my ethos, and this is who my tribe is. Can you tell me a bit about the process of why, did you just like fall into that? Or did you know right off the bat that it was super important to kind of stake your claim with a niche with a specific group of people to have specific messaging? Like, I'd just love to understand more about the thought process behind you creating your own brand intentionally that way. Yeah. So I saw the gap in the market towards black coffee. There's, there can be like a death wish coffee, for instance, is a great example of a really bold kind of sassy type of personality, but no one was res- just really speaking to black coffee drinkers. So I knew I wanted to be in there, okay. but I didn't know exactly how I wanted that message to come across. So I spent a bunch of time testing some different potential avatars Okay. I thought would potentially resonate with it. So um, I was like, okay, people who are maybe really health conscious might be turning more towards black coffee. So I ran a bunch of Facebook ads with different images and different coffee that were just health focused. Then I was like, okay, there's this whole hipster movement who are really into really specialty everything. So I tested out that target audience. Yeah. And then this whole kind of like grungier type like hardcore type um, consumer, I tested that out as well. So I, I tested out what exactly that target audience should be okay, and kind of helped craft my brand's voice from who those consumers were who True. told me up front, yes, I'm interested in buying something that's specifically for me. That makes sense. When you're testing um, from the ad side, you know, the copy in the image speaks to the health conscious consumer. When you, how did you, 
Did you send them to a landing page specific with that same messaging and copy, or was it just to your website that had, you know, unfigured out messaging? Like everyone had a different landing page. So I tried to make it as like pure as possible with like what that experience would be for each Mm -hmm. and every person coming through. Makes Um, sense. And I think that just helped me get like really pure data to help figure out who I should be speaking to. And like, I probably could have in a way spoke to all of them, but I really wanted to start like as narrow as possible. I like it. And be able to expand from there. And then because you were intentional with this, did you run these three avatar tests simultaneously or did you run one for a week, analyze, switch to B for another week, C for another week? I had them all running at the same time, I think. Yeah. And then I would like tweak them. I I probably had them going for like a good couple months, just like tweaking everything for a while to be like, all right, I think these health people and these more like sassy people, um, are kind of like resonating the most let's keep refining to just validate it i was in pure hypotheses like phase at this point yeah totally why do you, and now with the clients you work with and like the students you have do you repeat the same kind of intentional testing to identify avatars or has your process changed um it depends on where the consumer or where the customer is right now with things so like if a client is just getting ready to launch, then I tell them to do that. Like, okay, test everything, assume you know nothing and let the market tell you <laughs> what it is. Um, so it's really easy if someone's coming at the beginning and we end yeah. up working together. If they're further along the way, chances are they already have data that can tell us you know, yes. who is connecting with you. So I work with them to get like really granular of who their best customers are and what they have in common and and all that. Yeah. Who they are. And like, just get internet stalker mode on them. Where are they living? What else do they buy? Like figure out as much as you can. And I've even had some of my clients like name their avatars based on just their best customer that they know are buying from them over and over again. Cause it's so Sarah, whatever. Yeah. So, um, one thing, what you're you're getting into with intentional testing and ignoring your assumptions and just going letting the data and the market really tell you who is resonating with your product um this is not something a lot of first time business owners think to do because they fall under the bias that well i'm a coffee for example i'm a coffee drinker I will definitely know my demographics. So my coffee drinker must be someone who really just enjoys the taste of coffee and is a health nut. And they'll let their bias about themselves determine who their customer is that they don't even think to test because they think they're right. So um, curious, like, can you walk me through the importance of why you do data-driven testing like this as opposed to just assuming like you know because you could easily do this you have years of experience with food and beverage companies so why don't you just kind of look at a product and say well this is definitely the demographic you know like why do you still go back to the roots of data-driven advertising yeah for me it's like i don't know i'm I'm a data type of geek that way where it's that can't lie like you don't if you just talk with one person that's personal opinion Two people, meh, there might be some overlaps. You know, three people, eh, it's still just like, it's not enough data to go 
broad and deep still like and I know I keep talking about like niching down but like if yeah. you can just get really deep on why this group of people can all connect with it because I might drink black coffee because I really like the taste but maybe that taste ties into you know my love for uh, flavors from around the world but there might not be enough people who are connecting with it based on that yeah. uh, than that I think so if I go hard on that messaging and there's like a handful of us yeah it doesn't make sense it's so not I a business feel like it, yeah. yeah yeah it helps take the it helps take the risk out of things when you can have the market validate your ideas and I know we all like think that we know best about our product and everything but if if you believe in that so strongly then just like hear what other people's opinions are about it yeah. as well right makes sense yeah uh, so I'd like to get more into like the fundamentals of what someone has to do to move more product through retail and stuff. So um, when I think of food and beverage, I think of um, the direct to consumer. And then I think of the enterprise, not enterprise, but you know what I mean? Like the massive catering companies that or restaurant industry, right? So are you strictly consumer, direct to consumer, or do you dabble in the enterprise level two? Yeah. So I do mostly, um, like retail. Cool. So yeah. whether you're in like Whole Foods or here in Canada, like a Loblaws or specialty. And then I don't help with like anything specifically with Amazon or anything. I awesome. fully yeah. agree with that, but more so like how do people make sure at least if they're driving people to their website, that yeah. people are enticed to buy and it's still a representation of your brand there and that it's a seamless experience. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I can assume because people uh, come to me with some product and they're like, I don't know the best route to market with this. Can I can license this. I can kickstart this. I can do whatever it is. Right. And I assume um, for you, when you have a brand new company that comes to you that wants to launch something, what is the right way? Is it best to start online? Is it best to do retail? What are pros and cons? Like, what does that look like in the planning stages? Yeah, I think for me, it comes down to what makes sense for who your ideal audience is. So if you're targeting like a boomer or a, a busy mom who's maybe in suburbia, chances are she's still going to grocery. So yes, it can right. be important for you to be there. Now, just like where we are today, I really do think that people need to have both. It's, mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to go direct to consumer online at first though, given the capital requirements, especially, right. uh, especially if you're in Canada, to be very honest, we have really, yeah. really high listing fees to get on shelf. Um, yeah. So it's easier to be direct to consumer up front, but it really depends on where your, where your shopper is and like your shopper is in multiple different places. Mm -hmm. So being really intimate with understanding how he or she shops, what he and she, he or she is looking for when they're buying your product or when they have this need to buy it, will yeah. help you figure out like where it should be. Awesome. And let's say you have someone who you think is right to start approaching retail or even yeah just the whole retail side of the conversation who is your ideal person 
to when it's right to go to retail? Yeah. So if you're wanting to go to retail, you've got to have your decks like in a row. You've got to be really, really clear on your pricing. Like number one, you have to figure that stuff out. If you still don't know like what all of your margins are and things like that, don't even try to go to retail because there's so many middleman fees that you're going to end up being on shelf and losing money with every product. And I've seen that a number of times where people get this great listing and they're losing money. And then you have this really bad feeling with your business, obviously. Mm -hmm. This works for for nothing. Yeah. Um, So yeah, you need to have all of your pricing figured out. You got to have a package that looks fantastic. You really need to be fully thought out if you're going to go to retail because retailers see so many products Mm -hmm. you need to have a unique reason to stand out and they need to believe in you as a founder because if they don't have the confidence that you're going to be able to deliver on time that you're going to be able to do buybacks that you're going to be able to like operate like these big cpg companies are they're going to give that shelf space to someone else who can so if -hmm. you're not if you're still in the like let me figure everything out phase you're probably not ready for retail yet. Yeah. And then about the, uh, you brought up a good point with how going online is easier from a capital standpoint, meaning retail, um, you obviously need a bit more capital to go to retail. So can you walk me through, like, how do I know what kind of volume that I need to be able to go to retail? What's like capital side? Yeah. From a, um, from a volume in terms of product. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're going to want to make sure that you've got like at least three months of inventory that you can like really quickly, easily go through if necessary. Mm -hmm. Um, when you're, when you are going into retail up front and you need to make sure that you have a plan to like get it off of shelf as well, because number one, a lot of retailers will want you to do like a free fill on shelf first. So the first order that they place, you're paying for it right there. And if it doesn't move, well, then you're buying that back in some instances, or you're just eating the cost of all that product. So you got to make sure that you have like the inventory to refill it when it is moving and that you have the inventory to like do something like a free fill and demos and all of that at however many stores that that may be. So it's like, it's a lot easier if you're just doing one-off specialty stores, but if you're getting in a Kroger's or if you're getting into a buy ride or something, yeah, but you've got to make sure that you've got all that figured out in your logistics and all of that. And that's where distributors and brokers come in. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of different retailers want you to work with a broker or distributor and and they'll help you figure out a lot of that stuff too. Yeah, that's cool. So I am a CPG company and I want to go to retail. Um, Can you... How does one start to sell to get listed on shelves? And even for existing placements, how do you get reorders? Like, just, yeah. Yeah. How do I do this? So if you want to get on shelf for the first time, um, you got to have something called a sell sheet, which is like this one page double-sided have me around to show um but like a double-sided doc that really is like your brand who you are why you're different how you're meeting a need in the category 
mm-hmm. and then all the like more detailed information in terms of the margin, in terms of product info, anything like that. Um, you're going to want that. You're gonna, you need to get that in the inbox or in the live hands of a, of a buyer. So you need to then do some like backup research in terms of who that buyer is, yeah. when their category reviews are. There's also some great sites these days like Range Me, where you can list your product. Um, if you're going to use Range Me, I really high, highly recommend the premium version so that you actually okay. can go put your product on Range Me and you can see who, what retailers are doing category reviews at what time. And you can then open up those conversations. They can open up those conversations with you. But your job is to figure out when someone's looking at the category. So if you're doing cereal, when they're looking at the cereal section um, and when they're looking at all the brands on there and they do it every year. So when are they looking at that? Have a really, really compelling sell sheet that is focused on why you're different, how you meet a need. And Mm -hmm. then from there, you're you're probably going to be invited to send samples and to have a meeting with the retailer. Great. So that is like where they're going to be able to get into more information about why you created this more. So my biggest piece here is like your product is the last piece to really come to the forefront here. Like do not spend your time talking about how delicious your product is and how you make it and this feature and that feature. They want to know the business details. So the person, the buyer on the other side, they are looking at dollars and cents. They need to be convinced that there's a need in the category. Their shoppers want this, how this isn't going to just cannibalize another product on the shelf, but this is going to bring them incremental revenue and how much money they can make. Go in this with like product is a nice literal cherry on top at the end, but you're talking business at this point. You bring up an amazing point, which is don't like it's basic sales that everyone gets wrong. What's in it for me? How can this be a win, win, as opposed to look at how amazing I am, right? Um, So while I've never sat through a retail pitch for a food and beverage brand, um, it sounds like um, in how many cases would you, uh, are people in a position to bring hard numbers? Like, let's just say you are trying to get listed in a major retail uh, Whole Foods in the US, right? And online for sale selling you've been moving about twenty thousand dollars worth of product to x demographic can you bring those validated hardcore numbers to a retailer to show proof of uh demand for your product with that specific avatar like yeah absolutely absolutely it's like bring whatever data you have right um if you when you're bringing them hey these people are buying this online whether that be your from your own store whether Mm -hmm. from amazon from bubble wherever it may be bringing those gives them validated proof they they want to reduce the risk i'm putting you on shelf so if you have numbers that helps reduce that risk so share whatever you can even if it's like not a lot if you just launched online and you're getting traction share it anyways so what if you have not launched online, you like you, you have capital and you're just pitching this first meeting and you want to get on shelves, your first route to market, what sort of proof of uh, demand can people show if they don't have actual revenue yet to prove? Yeah. So if you're pre-revenue, if you haven't sold anything yet, when you're going to the retailer, like 
paint the picture from the data that you would have done before, the research that you would have done before. So let's say you can go in and discuss the size of the market of whatever category you're in. Let's say you have a keto cookie. The keto yeah. industry is growing. Um, the cookie, people are still loving snacks. And this is the size of the market and it's growing 5% every year. We can tell that there's you know, a group of people in here who might want it. And then you can talk about the fact that maybe you did some online testing. You haven't sold anything yet, but we know that people are interested in some type of, some sort of um, keto type of snack that has maybe this unique flavor or something that that isn't out there already. So, I mean, use third-party research where you yeah. can if you don't have it. Um, that still, you know, if you if you have no sales, this is what all the large CPG companies yeah. do. Before they've launched it, they don't have online sales. So they go in and say, hey, this part of the market is growing. This part of the market is declining. Here's this wonderful gap that we're going to fill with this. Here's what you're currently selling. You don't have any almond keto cookies. And there's been an upward trend in because almond, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. I, I can see that. Um, find a way to like paint the story for the gap that you solve, whether it be with your data or not. I would hope that you have some data to say that there's a need for it data. before you're launching. Yeah. Otherwise you're most likely not prepared. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, I, guess I have two final questions. The first one is what is your best piece of advice or one of your best pieces of advice you can give for brands that are starting out in food and beverage when it comes to retailers? That's my first question. Yeah. When it comes to working with retailers, um, for food and bev businesses, I would say like, don't lead with your product. I, I just see this too, too often that you're talking about what your product tastes like. And I mean, without, no one's going to know what it tastes like if you don't first sell them with creating a really powerful brand and creating a really powerful need and being able to connect. So I think when you think of it like that, like as delicious as it is, you need to do all these other things up front before mm -hmm. anyone's ever going to taste it. Makes sense. Um, kind of answered my second question. So I'm going to say, is there anything I should have asked you that I haven't? Oh, um, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, you're, you're good at interviewing. You've got some good questions there. I feel like we covered a lot with, uh, with how yeah. to get I've done this a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. You, you're pretty good. You figured it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Doing this for like three years or so Jeez, <laughs> scary um no that's pretty good so like um i want to keep this um because yeah, there's just so much to cover in your space of like best practices it's like i'm, I'm glad we cover like the main points mm. so if people want to learn more about you the work you do that sort of thing what's a good place to send them yeah, so you can just go to ainsleymoyer.com. Um, so it's A-I-N-S-L-E-Y-M-O-I-R.com. Uh, awesome. You can check out everything that we're doing with the Healthy Food and Beverage Group there and how we help food and beverage companies, specifically in the Better For You space, mm -hmm. um, launch, grow, and scale. Amazing. There, yeah. Ties in perfectly with the name of your podcast. <laughs> oh my God. It's like, that was intentional. But right? not really. Um, great. Well, uh, guys, the links uh, mentioned in this show are going to be below in the resource section. Um, 
either the show notes on the website or YouTube. So anyway, be sure to subscribe and go check out Ainsley's site. She does awesome work. So uh, that was so weird. But anyway, you get it. <laughs> so thank you for coming on the show. This is great. And I'm so happy to hear you're back in Toronto for a little bit. So um, we'll connect with you offline. So yeah, we'll have to grab coffee and black coffee. Yes, black <laughs> coffee. And you could teach me something so that I may one day become a connoisseur. So, All right, good job. Amazing. Cool. I'll see you later. Bye. Take care. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For more like it, as well as free resources, be sure to head over to our website, which is kirsten.com. It's K-H-I-E-R-S-T-Y-N.com. And if you do not want to miss another episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms or catch the video version of this on YouTube. Apart from that, we'll see you next time. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launchpad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step -step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launch pad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launch pad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.